We'll be in Philippians, the book of Philippians in the New Testament. Are you having a good day? wonder if God's having a good day. I heard a preacher preach the other night. He said, you know, sometimes we pray and tell God, you know, I need this, I want that, I want you to do the other thing. And he said, sometimes I think we ought to just uh, stop and say, Lord, I want you to have a good day today. Because we kind of turn inward and make everything about us. <laughs> and he said, sometimes we just, and he told about another preacher. He said, another preacher, I asked him, he said, man, I, I've heard about your uh, your walk with the Lord and and I'm impressed with it. He said, how, how, do you, how do you walk with the Lord? What, exactly what do you do? And he said, well, to be honest with you, me and the Lord just sit and talk. <laughs> we just sit and talk. He said, I, I tell him sometimes what I need, but a lot of times we just sit and talk. And sometimes I sit and listen. We need to have a walk with the Lord, and we need to just sometimes be still and listen, and that's what we're doing this morning. We're in Philippians chapter number 2, and I want to read a verse uh, to begin with. Verse number 12, and then we'll go back and pick up several more of those verses. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 12. He says in verse number 12, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now notice he didn't say work for your salvation. He didn't say work toward your salvation. He said work out that which you already have. Work out that salvation. When you got saved, God put something into you that wasn't there before. He put His righteousness in you. He put His Holy Spirit in you. He put a new nature in you. And now, as a Christian, you don't have to work for that salvation, but you are to work out that salvation. Whatever God worked in, now you're to work it out in your life, in your daily life. Let's pray together, and then we'll read some more verses. Father, I pray that you bless us as we come into your precious Word. We pray that it would be more than just special, but it would be preeminent in our lives as we look to the Lord Jesus through His Word to direct us to be that kind of a Christian that works out His salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now let's go back in verse number 1 and, and get the whole context. Chapter 2 of Philippians, verse number 1. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ. Well, we all want consolation. We want to be consoled. We want to be at peace. We want to have joy and just be at rest. He said, if there be any consolation in Christ, and there is, if any com comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem, esteem other better than themselves. Now, They'd been having a little bit of, uh, this is a good church. The Philippian church was a good church, but they'd, they'd had a few people getting crossways with each other. You know, unlike us, we never do that, right? But they had some people in that church, just a few of them, that got kind of, you know, a little bit critical of each other. And uh, he's, he's telling them, uh, hey, look on the other person and treat them better than you do even yourself. 
and just do unto others as you'd have others do unto you. In verse number four, he says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? In the, according to the scriptures, we're supposed to let him, by the renewing of our mind, transfer his life into our life. When we got saved, he put something into us. He put a new life in it. If any man be in Christ, behold, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things become new. And as he puts that salvation in us, that new nature in us, we're to let it work its way out in our daily living. Verse number six, speaking of Jesus, he says, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. By the way, you can use verse six, not anything to do with this sermon in particular, but uh, God uh, didn't get jealous that Jesus made it known that he was God. The deity of Christ is seen here. And when you come across some of those cults that say, well, Jesus is just the son of God. He wasn't God really himself. Well, here it says that Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Jesus is deity. Verse number seven. But he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. Oh, wait, boy, there's a whole sermon in itself right there. I mean, here's the king of the universe. Instead of going around acting all high and mighty, he made himself a servant. Remember when he washed the feet of Peter? And I think Judas too, didn't he? That betrayer? Here's the king of glory washing the feet of his disciples. And I wonder if that wouldn't be good. If we're going to let the mind of Christ be in us, I wonder if it wouldn't be good if we treated other people with a little more humility from our own selves and make them feel a little more important. Verse number uh, 8, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient. There's a key word you ought to underline. Obedient. If Jesus became obedient, I guess it would be okay for us to be obedient too, wouldn't it? And became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That in the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of, the, of God the Father. Wherefore, my beloved, now he says wherefore, seeing these things we just read. He said wherefore, he's speaking, Paul is speaking to that church at Philippi. And he says, wherefore, my beloved, I like the way he refers to those. I think Paul loved those people. If Jesus loves his people, I think preachers ought to and Christians ought to love each other. And he said, wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, there's that word again, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Paul's, he's out of the city. And you've heard the old saying, when the cat's away, the mice will play. But Paul said, I've heard about you folks. You're not uh, fooling around. You're not uh, just hypocrites. You're still acting like Christians, even though I'm not there. Your pastor, he's, I'm gone. And somebody else there is leading you right now. But uh, he said, you've obeyed not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to do will and to do of his good pleasure. We're created for his pleasure. You knew that, didn't you? We're not created to live under ourselves. We're created to live the way he wants us to live. 
We're to bring glory to Him. And then in verse 14, he says, Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Well, you can ignore that one. We would never do that. That you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Well, we have... A verse of scripture here that tells us to work out our own salvation. Now, as we already said, he's not saying work for your salvation. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So it's not of works. It's not by what we do. And I don't know how St. Peter ever got thought, uh, thought by Christians that he's the gatekeeper in heaven, and you have to take a test from him. But you know the old jokes, uh, standing at the gate and, and St. Peter's questioning you before you get in. Well, this one guy showed up at the gate, and he's wanting into heaven, and St. Peter said, well, it takes 1,000 points to get in. And, uh, and the man said, well, 1,000 <clears throat> points, how, how do I earn them? He said, well, it's according to the way you live. He said, uh, <clears throat> did, <clears throat> do you, can you tell me what you did that you ought to have 1,000 points to get in? The man said, well, uh, yeah, he said, I went to church and I always took food to the supper socials. I, uh, I, I read my Bible and I prayed. And I gave tithes and offerings. And uh, he said, I'm just a pretty good guy. Peter said, is that it? He said, yeah. He said, well, that'll learn you one point. The guy said, it takes a thousand to get in and all of this my whole life, you tell me I got one point? Lord, have mercy. Peter said, now that's it. You got the thousand points now. Lord, have mercy. You know how we get saved? By His grace and His mercy. It's not by what we do, you know. It's not by reading your Bible. It's not by giving. It's not by being faithful to church. You ought to do all of those things, but that's not what earns you points to get into heaven. It's by grace, His mercy. By His mercy, He saved us. Well, we're still told here to work out our own salvation and that just simply means to put into practice what he's put into us in daily living. Now, if you just got saved, you don't have, you have full salvation, but you don't have all the knowledge of God. You don't have this book, a lot of it inside yet. And that's why we go to preaching and teaching and classes and and listen to sermons and read the Bible and stuff so we can get that stuff in us. And as we get more in us, the more we can work out. And so Paul is saying to these Philippian believers, uh, you know, you need to work out your salvation. I know there's been a little bit of disunity in your midst and, you know, a little bit of grumbling and complaining and, and been a few little things, you know, going wrong. And he said, you need to work out your salvation in your daily life. If you're, if you're working out what God has put into you, things will be better. Amen. And so God provided a Savior so that man could have an opportunity not just to be saved for eternity, but to live out his life of Christianity before others that we might bring glory to God and answers to others who need to know how to be saved. We'll get into those things in just a moment. As a farmer... Let's think about that phrase again. Work out your own salvation. As a farmer, uh, back in the days before there was a lot of machinery, especially, 
<clears throat> they still do it, but you'll get the visual picture a little better. If we think about in the days of agriculture before they had tractors and plows uh, like they have now, heavy-duty implements, uh, farmers would take a hoe and a rake, and they'd get out there and work their crops, and they had to do everything by hand. They had to work out their crop. And when the crop got ripe, I mean, they have to go to hoeing the weeds out and, and uh, putting uh, fertilizer from the barnyard on it, and then they'd have to go in and, and pull weeds during the summertime, and, and finally they'd get a, a harvest. Now, when that stuff gets on the vine, when you've got corn on the cob growing on the stalk, it doesn't automatically get into the canning jars or in the freezer or in your pot on the stove automatically. So you've got to pick the corn off of the stalks. You've got to pick the cucumbers off of the vines. You've got to get the squash off of the vine. You've got to pick the green beans, and you have to work out your harvest. I mean, it's out there. It's hanging. The fruit's hanging, but you've got to work it out. You've got to work it out. Now, it's there, but you've got to work it out. And the way we work out our salvation matters because one day we'll be judged, not to see if we get into heaven or hell, but we'll be judged to see what kind of rewards or lack of them we receive at the judgment seat of Christ. And he says in 1 Corinthians 3.12, Now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. There's the work, the work. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So, you don't have a lot of works? Well, if you're saved, you're saved. And you'll get into heaven, uh, as they say, by the skin of your teeth but you might not have any rewards to show for it. And so that's why this is important, working out your salvation. Not only that we might get rewards out of it, but primarily to bring honor and glory and satisfaction to Him. And there's another benefit that if we work out our salvation, we live like Christians ought to live, we do the things Christians ought to do, as Paul is instructing these Philippian believers, one of those other benefits is that those around us We'll see our lives and say, you know, whatever they've got is a good thing. Maybe I want that. And that's part of our duty. Well, it's normal and natural for a Christian, I mean a godly Christian, to work out the nature that's within him. Keep in mind, you've got a new nature when you get saved. The Holy Spirit lives within you. For those who are not saved, you can't work out a salvation that's not in there in the first place. And so when we've got the the new nature of God in us, then it's natural, normal, expected of God that we will work it out. God doesn't save anybody so they can uh, be in heaven one day and set on their blessed assurance along the way in this pilgrim's journey. You knew that, didn't you? He means for us to do some things. So how do we work out our salvation scripturally? First, work it out with commitment. Look at verse number 12. Work it out with commitment. In verse number 12... He says, wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed. Notice that word obeyed. I had you underline it a couple of times. Not, now, not as in my present only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Paul's saying, I'm, I'm out of town, but 
you're still just working your salvation out. And Jesus is not here on the earth anymore. He, after his resurrection, he ascended back to heaven. He's not here to watch over us and say, hey, do this, do that, do the other thing. He gave us the Holy Spirit and he gave us a word of what we ought to do. And our job is to obey. That's not a famous and good word that people like right now. Because everybody wants to do their own thing. But God wants us to obey. The word still means to do what he says. Obey. Work it out. Work out your own salvation. Whatever this working out your salvation is, whatever it means to live the Christian life means that we ought to work it out in obedience with commitment that I'm going to do it till the cows come home. I'm going to do it, as Bob Jones said, uh, I'll do it till the stars fall. I'm just going to keep on doing it with commitment. Work it out. Work out your own salvation with commitment. Too many Christians today, I've seen Christians... uh, come into church, man, they're in and they're just a flash in the pan. Everything's rosy and and great. What a great sermon you preach, preacher. I really love that. This is my church. Love that singing. Man, this place preaches the word. I'll be back here. And then you never see them come back to the door again. (laughs) Well, what we need is commitment. Why do people not work out their own salvation? Well, one reason is we get impatient or distracted. You ever made some commitments, vows, promises to God, and lasted a little while and it wore off? That's lack of commitment. When I was a boy, Dad planted a cucumber patch. It seemed to me like it was 100 acres. I think it was about two. (laughs) And he planted this cucumber patch, and he, he had us kids out there working. Oh, no, not kids working in the cucumber patch. Yeah, yeah. Kids had to work in those days, and it taught us some character. And if you don't have a cucumber patch, invent something to do for your kids, for them to do. And so Dad had a cucumber patch. and Man, I was excited about it when he was planting all, all those seeds, and I thought, man, that's going to be a glorious thing. And then the hot summertime came, and, and the weeds started to grow, and he came out there and got me and my brother, and he said, uh, boys, we're going to work out the cucumbers today. I'm going to work them out. What's that? <laughs> well, he put a hoe in my hand and took me out there and showed me what working out the cucumbers was. Uh, you had to walk down that row. He'd give me a row. Long row. looked like 100 miles long. <laughs> and take that hoe and chop between every cucumber plant, chop the weeds out and loosen the dirt so when it rained, then it would soak in instead of just running off. And so we're cultivating with a hoe. And as a kid, and I, I don't remember how old I was, I think maybe six or something like that. And, uh, yeah, your kids are not too young to learn how to work. They can walk, they can work. Uh, my wife had our kids folding laundry uh, when, when they were just toddlers. She'd, have them, she'd get laundry out of the, out of the uh, dryer and throw it down on the pile and teach them how to fold those washcloths and towels. And they did a pretty good job, too, and they learned how to work. Well, I'd be working down that row, and as a six-year-old approximately, I'd be chopping along, and I'd get to daydreaming and leaning on my hoe. <laughs> and you know how dads are. Hey, son, those weeds are not going to chop themselves. Get off your hoe and start chopping. Oh, back up chopping again. I'd get down there a little bit further, and man, that row just looks so long, I'm tired. 
man, it's hot. I'm sweating. That's like blood coming out of you, you know? And I'm sweating, and, and I'm kind of bored anyway. And so I want to meander over into another row. It looks like there's not as many weeds over there in that row. And Dad said, hey, hey, back over here. This is your row. You, you work out your row. That's not your row over there. You know what's wrong with a lot of Christians? Uh, they ignore their own row, and they're chopping in somebody else's row. He said, work out your own salvation. That's what working it out is all about. And then we're to work it out. Well, let me read you a scripture. Uh, I said, sometimes we get bored. Sometimes we get tired. Sometimes we just get discouraged. And we don't keep that commitment of working out our salvation. Sometimes it's, uh, it's that we don't want to wait on the Lord. We, don't, we want to be through right now, like that row. We want to be through right now. And we don't have the patience to go ahead and let God do his work in us, through us, and out through us. And so in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, it says, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. Sometimes we just got to be patient. We're wanting God to do something special in our life. Why can't I get anybody saved? Why can't I give and, and receive as much as I give? Why can't I get something out of the Bible? I read it and it just seems like words and, and I can't put it together. And so we, we're always looking for a shortcut and we think God ought to do things according to my schedule. And He doesn't. You know what sometimes our job is? To wait. You ever been in a doctor's office? I mean you had a 2 o'clock appointment and now it's 2.30 and you're sitting there in the waiting room. Well your job's just to Wait. I got a little more respect for God than I do uh, medical personnel that keeps sitting in the waiting room too long. But, but I'm just saying, sometimes our job is to wait. And waiting is not, a, it's not just a passive thing. Waiting is something you do on purpose. Are you with me? Waiting is something you've been instructed to do. Did he not say it right there in Isaiah? Wait upon the Lord. You're wanting this done right now. And God said, I'm not ready to do it right now. You just wait. And we have to, on purpose, with determination and commitment, say, I'll wait. Sometimes young people are 18 years old and just get married. They want a job that pays $50 an hour and have a new house and a new Lamborghini. <laughs> Usually it doesn't work that way. Wait upon the Lord. Time will come when things might get better. Maybe not, but Probably. And we just have to wait on the Lord. Then work it out with caution. Verse number 12, he says, with fear and trembling. Work it out with caution. He said, work out with fear and trembling. Now, he's not talking about being so afraid of God, you're walking around cowering, afraid God's going to whack you over the head for any little misstep. That's not, we have a loving God. He's not looking to just beat us up. He, he's like a heavenly father. And so, as a father is not just looking for some reason to beat up his children, and as we, his children, we do things to obey him and work out our salvation before him, he's wanting that more than we are. He's not looking to knock us out, but rather to help us. Paul doesn't mean that they might lose their salvation here, that they work out their salvation with fear and trembling. 
in the little book of Jude, uh, over next to Revelation, it says, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. You can't keep yourself from falling from salvation. If you could keep yourself from falling from salvation, you would have been able to get yourself into salvation in the first place. But you get saved by grace and you're kept by grace and He is the one that can keep you from falling. Now, in 2 Corinthians, these believers at Corinth respected Paul. It says in 2 Corinthians 7, 15, And his inward affection is more abundant toward you whilst he remembereth the obedience of you all, how with fear and trembling you received him. He's talking about the servants of the Lord, preachers and pastors. He said, now, these people at Corinth, they had an affection for the people they preached to. Now, I've seen preachers as mean as a one-eyed water moccasin. They'd like to just lop your head off and leave you laying bleeding in the aisle. But I don't think that's what God meant for us to do. And Paul said that they have an inward affection and the preacher has an inward affection for each other. And uh, he said you received him with fear and trembling. Well, that doesn't mean that they were cowering before Paul or some other preacher. It just means that they had great reverence and respect. And I think that's a good thing. Don't set a preacher up on a pedestal because he'll certainly get knocked off. But at the same time, don't treat him like he's the lowest of the low. (laughs) One one little church uh, thought that their job was to, uh, the preacher prayed that he wanted to be uh, poor and humble, and so they made made sure that he was humble and he was poor. Uh, I don't think there has to be a false humility by the leaders of a church. But there neither needs to be a mistreatment either. And here he's saying, work out your salvation, not as one that's afraid God's just going to squash them like a bug at any moment. He could if he wanted to, but that's not his nature. He loves you, and he wants you to work out your salvation. And you do it with a great deal. Look, you know why, you know why I want to avoid sin and why you ought to avoid sin? It's because I don't want to disappoint him. I have a great deal of respect and reverence and awe for the God of heaven. And I want my lifestyle to please him. No, I'm not at liberty to do anything I want to do with my life. He said, ye are bought with a price. And that price is the blood of Jesus. So I want to please him. I'm not afraid that he's going to take my salvation away. I'm not afraid he's going to squash me like a bug. But I am afraid that I can disappoint God. I always hated to disappoint my mama. She'd look at me and I could see the hurt in her eyes. I wasn't afraid that she's going to beat me up. But I was afraid to disappoint her. And we ought to be afraid to disappoint him. And we work out our salvation. The reason a lot of people are not working out their salvation, they haven't grown any, they haven't done anything different with their lives than since the day they got saved, is because they don't have a, a reverential fear and trust and awe of God. If we see him high and lifted up, the holy one of the universe, the one who created everything, he's the one that that flung the stars into outer space. He's the one who made the sun and the moon and the earth. He's the one who put humankind on this earth. And he's the one who saved us. Why shouldn't we work at our salvation with a great deal of respect, fear, and trembling for him? Work it out with confidence. 
Verse number 13, notice that in our text. Chapter 2 of Philippians. It says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. You see, it's not my job to change my nature. It's not my job to make me a new creature. It's not my job to be all-knowing, omniscient, all-powerful. That's not my job. That's God's job. And when He works in me, He can work through me and make my job a lot easier. I heard about the, I read about the paratrooper who, uh, well, wait, it was, a, it, was a, it was an Air Force guy, Brother Paul, the an Air Force guy uh, in Okinawa once, got put on uh, town duty where he was, uh, he was the military police and he had to, you know, keep all the other military guys in line and that included the, the Marines and the Army and the Navy, including also the Air Force. And so he was breaking up a brawl in a bar room and as they're telling the story, somebody said, well, breaking up a brawl among all of those guys, weren't you scared? He said, not at all. Said, How come? He said, because my buddy that was working with me is a six foot four, 275 pound paratrooper and he's all muscle. He said, I wasn't scared of nothing. <laughs> you know what? When you've got Jesus in your heart, you don't have to fear other things. You can work out your salvation with confidence. What he asks you to do, you can do. You find things in the Bible that sound a little difficult. I don't think I can do that, Lord. And yet the Bible says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Anything he asks you to do, you can do. Now, he's not going to ask you to be a heavyweight champion of the world in the boxing ring because I don't think, I don't see anybody in here I believe is qualified for that. Maybe you are. Maybe a couple of us. But he probably wouldn't ask you to do that. But what he does ask you to do, he will empower you to do. With God, all things are possible. When I was a kid again, I think a lot about my dad. He's been gone for nearly 30 years. But, uh, we had a, a chicken house real close. He was a broiler farmer, rancher. I don't know what they call him. <laughs> broiler grower, I think was the term. And there's a chicken house about 150 feet long. And we, had, we added more chicken houses as time went on, some of them a couple hundred feet long. And, and we had one right beside the house and it had a concrete tank there. That tank was probably about as big as this platform. It was a concrete tank, and the walls of it stood up above the ground about waist high, and, and uh, it was clean to catch rainwater off the roof of the chicken house and funnel it uh, through gutters down into the tank for water to f water the flock of chickens. And uh, so in that tank, when, it come a, when he first filled it up, and rainwater went in it. It was fresh and clear and pretty, and uh, we'd get in there and swim. But before I learned how to swim, I was scared of that thing. I mean, that tank was about eight feet deep, and that was a little deeper than I am tall. And I was scared of that thing. But I was little, and Dad wanted me to learn how to swim. He'd climb over in it, and he'd get on, uh, he'd get on one corner, and he'd say, come on, Rick, paddle across to me. I can't, I can't, I can't. I'm just a little coward, you know. And, and he said, come on, paddle to me. I, said, I can't, I'm scared. And so he'd come over to me. There's a ledge on it, and he'd walk over to me. He'd say, okay, I've got to teach you how to paddle and he'd get me to lay on my belly, and he'd put his hands under me like that. 
He said, now start paddling and try to pull yourself forward and kick your feet. Well, as I probably looked pretty awkward at the time and it didn't work very good at first, but because he put his hands under me, I wasn't afraid of sinking anymore. My dad was there to take care of me. And little by little, he began to drop his hands a little more and a little more. And pretty soon, I was paddling, dog paddling on my own. I'd get from one side of the tank to the other. I mean, the tank was just, you know, about eight feet wide or so. And so I got to where I could swim. But it was the confidence of having Dad's hands under me, supporting me, that made me able to do what I needed to do to work out this knowledge that he put into me that you can swim, but I was, wasn't very confident. They said that when they built the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco that at least 11 men fell to their death. This was back in the days for OSHA and had very many safety measures and stuff. And so 11 men had fallen to their death approximately. And then somebody got the idea to invent a huge net and put a net under that bridge. So if they'd fall, they'd fall in like a big trampoline. You know, they'd fall into that net. 19 men fell to that net during the rest of the construction of the bridge unharmed. What this did was not only save some lives, but it gave them the psychological and emotional confidence they needed to do the work that they had laid out before them. And friend, you can work out the salvation that's inside you. God may ask you to do some difficult and scary things, but you can rest assured that he's on your side. And you can rest assured that he's got his arms under you. He's got a net under you. You're not going to fall. He's going to take care of you. And so we can work out our salvation with confidence and then work it out with control. It says in verse number 14, to work out our salvation without murmuring and disputings. We're not to be controlled by the flesh. Now, some... Some writers say that this passage of Scripture is talking, that Paul's talking to the church as a whole, that, that you folks as a whole body, you need to get along together and have unity and you need to work out your salvation as a unit. Others say he's talking to individuals. Each individual needs to work. Well, I think it includes both because church is made up of individuals. Isn't that correct? And so there's disputings that happen. There's problems that come up and we're to do this thing of working out our salvation living the Christian life without murmuring and disputing the old preacher of 150 years ago I guess Joseph Parker great preacher preached a sermon one day and somebody came uh, an intellectual came up to him after he preached and said uh, Dr. Parker you made a grammatical mistake in your sermon. Dr. Parker said, well, thank you. What else did you get out of the sermon? <laughs> Sometimes we're looking for fault, not just in the preacher, but we're looking at faults in each other. And if we're going to work out our salvation to the pleasing of God, it doesn't come by being highly critical, gossiping, criticizing, being mean-spirited, putting people down. If we're going to work out our salvation, we need to do it with a good spirit, without murmuring and disputing. Some people are so negative-minded, it doesn't matter. I mean, you, they'd gripe if they was hung with a brand-new rope. 
Some people can't be pleased. It does, you can say, boy, it's a nice day today, isn't it? Well, looks like it's going to cloud up after a while. <laughs> um, boy, didn't we have a good time at church? Yeah, but did you see old sister so-and-so? Boy, wasn't that a good sermon? Well, didn't do much for me. <laughs> and, and, and we have negative thoughts on our mind. Paul's saying, lay those murmurings and disputings aside. Just go forward with a positive attitude, with faith in God. Work your salvation out and hoe your own row. Don't worry about somebody else's row. Work out your own salvation. Work it out. Some people just muddy, grub, and complain. We've got to learn. There, there should be times when we learn uh, just not to be as Brother Sneathern says, mully-grubbing. That's, I, think, I, I don't know if he invented that word or not, but, but mully-grubbing is just when you, you complain all the time. I, I, I heard a state trooper joke. <laughs> Old Farmer Jones is driving down the country road, I mean this gravel road, and he comes to a curve a little bit too fast. And Man, he lost control of his old truck. His old dog was in the back of the truck, and so was his mule. And he turned that truck over, and man, the mule fell out, and the dog fell out, turned it upside down, the driver fell out, and uh, along comes a state trooper, and he, he sees that poor old dog laying in the ditch, and old dog's hurt beyond repair. I mean, he's whining in a great deal of misery, and the trooper's an animal lover. See, I give him a good connotation there. He's an animal lover, so he pulls out his revolver and shoots the dog to put him out of his misery. And then he hears the old mule laying over there in the other ditch. And that old mule's making awful sounds. His legs are broke and he's suffering terrible. And so the trooper goes over there and shoots him uh, between the eyes, put him out of his misery because he didn't want to see him suffer. And finally the trooper sees old Farmer Jones laying over there in the weeds. And he walks over and he says, how are you doing? He said, I'm fine. Never felt better in my life. <laughs> you know, sometimes we could take a shot and just be okay, and still like, everything's all right. You know, sure, there's some bad things happen. Sure, there's some disappointments come along. But we don't have to work out our salvation in a way that discourages others. It ought to be in a way that is positive enough that people would want what we've got. And that brings us to working out our salvation with consecration. Verse number 15, he says that we ought to be blameless and harmless. That means without a blemish on our spiritual life. That means without a blemish in our manner of living. Consecration. Consecration is holy. It means dedicated to the Lord, and so the world has no attraction for me. I'm dedicated to Him. And if we have more attraction from, for the world than we do for God, are you listening? If we're attracted more to the world than we are to Him, our consecration is not the kind that's going to bring people to Christ. People looks at us and, say, and they say, he claims to be a Christian. <clears throat> he doesn't act like it. You know, even lost people know kind of how a Christian ought to behave. <laughs> and when we're not acting like a Christian, they hear us telling dirty jokes and they hear us cussing and they hear us mully-grubbing and they hear us fussing and fighting as church members. When they hear us bellyaching and moaning about our marriage and about our kids and all we do is just mully grub and gripe and we live in life and we're not as honest as we ought to be. And people see that. And they'll say, and he claims to be a Christian. Now maybe sometimes they're a little unjust in that. But we ought not to give them a reason to be. 
Work out your salvation with consecration and work it out with communication. He says in verse number 15 that we're to shine. D.L. Moody said, a lighthouse doesn't honk horns. It just shines. If I'm a right kind of Christian working out my salvation, I won't have to tell people, I'm a Christian, you know that? I'm a Christian, watch what I do. I won't have to tell them that. They'll see it. We work out our salvation. If we're working out our salvation, they will see it because we're shining. Jesus said, so let your light shine. And that's what, like a, like a light on top of a hill. Don't want to put your light under a bushel basket. We don't want to blend in with the world and look like the world and act like the world. We want to be different. The Bible says we're a, a peculiar people. And that doesn't mean just weird. It means that we're just different than the world. The world dresses in a certain way and, and summer season's coming up where you're going to see more and more skin. We ought not have Christians putting on a show of the skin. And when it comes to laughing at somebody's dirty jokes, we don't have to laugh with them. But we're to shine. And then the last thing, work out your salvation with celebration. In verse number 16, Look at that one with me. He said, holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice. Well, I think a lot of times people don't want Christianity because they look at us and say, boy, whatever they got, I don't think I want it. (laughs) Oliver Wendell Holmes, was that the... uh, Supreme Court Justice. He told somebody somewhere, he he became known as one of the greatest Supreme Court Justices, and he told somebody along the way that he'd actually thought about going into the ministry before he changed courses and ended in the judicial judicial system. And somebody said, well, why'd you change your mind? He said, well, he said, I saw so many preachers that acted more like undertakers I didn't want to have anything to do with it. Sorry, Brother JT. <laughs> now, I now have got a mad at me on both sides. <laughs> if we go around looking like our best friend just died, we don't advertise very well for Jesus. If we're always down and out, we got this heavy cloud over us. We're just unhappy. But Jesus says we ought to shine and we ought to celebrate. To rejoice. To rejoice. We ought to be rejoicing. Do you know that before you got saved, you were on your way to hell? I mean, you were on your way. You were going to burn in eternity. And He chose to save you. Isn't that a good thing? I mean, it doesn't matter what else doesn't work out in this life. I may not ever have all the money I want. I may not have, I may not have the best vehicle I want or the best house I want. I may not have any of those things. I may not be as popular as a lot of preachers. But I've got heaven to look forward to. I can rejoice. And that's eternity, friend. This life, do you know how short it is? Boy, it's a short trip. It was, it was only yesterday, Brother Dan and I were working together at the Dodge dealership. 
And just the day before that, I was graduating from high school. And the day before that, I was just a little kid starting to first grade. And I remember giving, them my, giving me my first little primer. And they told me they was going to teach me how to read. I'm still looking forward to that. <laughs> this life is a short trip. But you know how long eternity is? You can't see the other end of it. And we who have accepted Christ as Savior, we're going to live right towards eternity from here on out and never come to an end because there's no horizon that drops over the edge for eternity. It lasts forever. And so why shouldn't I rejoice? I'm glad to be saved, aren't you? And if we work out our salvation, we'll be way more effective in bringing blessings to ourselves, having joy in our own life, and showing others that there's something else besides what they're living to look forward to. If we praise the Lord, rejoice in the Lord, have a good attitude, I like the term sweet spirit. I like it when a church has a sweet, sweet spirit. And I think we do. And when we have a sweet spirit, it looks a lot more attractive, not just to the Lord, but to those who need to get saved and those who are thinking about coming in. Celebrate. Well, the Bible does say the joy of the Lord is your strength. You want to be strong? Learn to rejoice. God has saved you for the purpose of glorifying Him And to glorify Him, you have to work out that salvation that He put into you. He loaned you something. He loaned you His righteousness. And now you just work it out. You don't have to make it up. What He put in you is already there. You just work it out. If you never come to the Lord for salvation, you can come to Him today. You can do it right now. Trust Him as Savior. Christian, you don't have to be A stunted Christian, you can grow in grace by working out that salvation. If you're just like you was the day you got saved, something's wrong. You ought to be growing. But grow in grace. Grow to maturity. There ought to be a change in our life. If you've been saved for a year, there ought to be something different in your life. You ought to grow a little closer to Him. If you're not saved, you can be saved today. You can't work something out that's not in there to start with. So you've got to get saved to have anything to work out. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'd bless us in the invitation time. Lord, we love you. Thank you for saving our wretched souls. Thank you for giving us a home in heaven. Lord, I pray for those who have not trusted you as Savior. I pray that this morning they would look into their heart and say, Lord, it's empty and only you can fill it. All I see in my heart is sin. Lord, I know you can take it away because Jesus died for that sin on the cross of Calvary. And I accept you, I receive you, I trust you as my Savior this day. Lord, I pray that they'd do that. Lord, for the Christian who's living under a cloud and being discouraged and finding it hard just to continue on or to grow in grace, I pray that you'd give them, Lord, the incentive to work out their own salvation. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I'm going to ask you to stand if you're able.